0: Please.
1: Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. Remember uh, this one?
0: Yeah, am I on that one?
1: You're listed on that one?
0: What's the name of that? ultra wave ultra wave oh my god yes the new do review is that part of the new do? oh uh, my god
1: well new do oh. review is on trumbibulation Parliament
0: oh I love Trombibulation, the ultra wave yeah see they move the music around so it made it difficult and it makes it difficult to find. So that's my quest today, to find this music, the Cinderella theory, the dodo. Really? Ultra oh. wave. Wow. Okay. So you're, you're teaching me today.
1: Hey, if there's any way I can ever help you that way, never hesitate to reach out. Um,
0: Seriously. Okay. I, I,
1: ha- I have you know, quite a library here. So um, the only thing I think I don't have that I'm aware of is I don't have the Felipe Wynn album.
0: Okay. Neither do I. Um, I wonder if there's any any P Funk on Felipe's. Did he do a full project with George? Yeah, he
1: he was the only other there was two Uncle Jam record label records. It was t- sweatband and Felipe Win. Oh, okay. Oh, and also um I think the P Funk All-Stars. You're on okay. this one too. Yeah.
0: Hmm. I've seen that cover before. Okay. How uh... exciting. I'm excited. This is all new to me. This is all new. Thank you, honey.
1: And when you look back at that craziness, is there one or two like shows from the heyday? that um, just really are unforgettable for you for whatever reason, you know, whether it was craziness or just performance or what have you.
0: Okay, the first show that Parlette did here in Detroit, which I just mentioned opening up for the group War. Yeah, that was monumental. Um, All of Detroit came out. To see us, all of uh, the high school groups came out. You know, Northwestern was in house. All of my personal friends came out, so that was monumental. The LA, the uh, Soldier Field, I had never seen an audience like that before in my life.
1: Well, are you talking? Well, LA was the Coliseum. Soldier Field would be LA. Was,
0: we did Soldier Field. That was Chicago. Yeah, Chicago was uh, Soldier Field. That was monumental, and then the L.A. Funk Festival. That was another one. The L.A. Funk Festival. I think we were get. I was getting. I was a little more comfortable. Yeah, I was a little more comfortable with the L.A. Funk Festival, and we did. Let's see, it was the L.A. Funk Festival. I did Chicago. There were a few. We made a few sightings. <laughs> we had a few sightings. Uh, we were on a roll there for a minute, but somebody pulled the plug. Somebody pulled a plug on Parlette. Yeah, they did us a disservice, Scott. And uh, I believe that was George. Oh, and, and Europe. Europe loved us. Europe loved the girls, especially... Ireland. in
1: your in Europe were you on a bill with others or just on your own?
0: No, we were on the bill with others. Um, there was a guy or girl Sylvester do you remember Sylvester? Yeah yeah oh my God, how exciting He was disco yes, disco it, it was that era um, was James Brown? Oh, it was a host. It was a host of groups that uh, toured Europe. We were a part of that, yeah. And we almost didn't make it. We almost didn't make Europe. Parlette fought very hard to be a part of that tour. For whatever reason, they did not want to take Parlette. But Malia's mother fought really hard. She fought really hard. For Parlette to be a part of uh and I think it had to I think it all boiled down to monies George was holding out on the monies you know the monies for those that were contracted I wasn't contracted I know Malia was contracted I I'm not sure about Debbie and and Jeanette I think it was all contractual disagreements uh that brought about the disharmony. I think it was all monies. Yeah. Yeah. Monies was the first, for whatever reason, George was not, he wasn't giving the monies. He wasn't allocating the money where it should have been allocated.
1: (laughs) How how were things different when you were laying vocals? down that were being used for the George Clinton solo records with Capitol in the 80s. How was that different from when you were doing it, you know, back when the funk mob was in full force?
0: It wasn't really a different. There was no difference, you know, because when you're in the studio, you know, you're in the studio recording, you don't know where the song is going to go, who's going to get this song. It was all the same. it was uh you know well, wasn't it,
1: it was. less less chaos though going on at that time, or
0: It's no. always chaos. There was never a uh tender, warm moment. It was always tension, hot, electric, you know <laughs> always it was never a tender moment, never mm
1: Nope. What was the most personal or direct experience you ever had with George Clinton?
0: I had a big concern about being under contract, you know, because I had laid vocals down. Now I'm doing all this without a contract, and I'm believing that I needed to be under contract. So I need a meeting with George Clinton. That meeting took place one afternoon in one of the restrooms there at United Sound. And, uh, you know, I'm voicing my my understanding of what is supposed to be. And he's listening. And George went on to tell me about how and I don't know who the apple was, but how One rotten apple could spoil the whole barrel, theory, I guess. In a sense, he was saying, you don't really want a contract. He's trying to tell me, you don't want a contract. You don't want to get messed up with a contract. Uh, So I took, that's how I I took that. That was uh, the the message that I got from that um, conversation I had with George one evening. After Malia had left the group, and we had been recording for for Parliament Funkadelic, let's see where we was that before. Play me, I think it was before Play Me A Trade Me. And again, um, the organization was looking to bring in other females. That's what it felt like, because there was a slew of female. That came through the studio, you know, recording, hanging out, whatever. And George pulled me aside one afternoon. He wanted to talk to me. And the conversation went something like um, You can work with anybody. He's watched, like I said earlier, he had been watching, he's observing. How you go about your business. And he said, You can work with anybody, surely, but can they work with you? Mm. Wow. And my heart was beating so fast, you know, at that time. What does he say? He wanted, he told me in a very private meeting that he wanted to build a group. Around me, you can work with anybody, but can they work with you? I didn't know how important uh, that uh, that that was. Words of wisdom, how important that would be, and how it would relate to what's going on today, and how relevant it would be, you know, today. Because I have tried and tried and tried to work with these females and they refuse to this day to work with me. Okay, now Sheila, she's open. We've done a couple of gigs together. Sheila Horn, Amuka Kelly is open, but Dawn Silva, Jeanette Perkins, nope, (laughs) Uh uh-uh. Lynn Mabry, you know, she went off, she was doing her thing. I I would not include Lynn in this. Lynn is a beautiful so I believe that we could work together but she you know she's been doing other things she went on and because she had been around you know for a while slystone's cousin you know she had that connection i didn't have that connection i'm from detroit you know i'm not a part of the inner circle i wasn't privy you know to being a part of what's going on but uh george I thought he was sincere when he said that he wanted to build a group around me. We're going to have a conversation later. We'll talk later. Uh, but you know, you keep that under wraps. And I can recall coming out of the, that was like in a little lunchroom area of United Sound up front. And this chick by the name of um, Patty Walker who was George Clinton's hairstylist at the time. She was the one putting all these different uh, colorful styles in George's look. She was helping him with his look, his hair stuff. And she, she must have been eavesdropping. So like I say, when I came out of the meeting, I remember this verbatim, she was so excited George and I really didn't get it. I mean, she talked really fast, you know. And she overheard the conversation, and I was in shock because this was a private meeting. What is she talking about? She overheard the conversation that I was having with George. So yeah, that was yeah. Ah, oh, so unfair! So unfair. <laughs> I believed him. But I also knew that he was telling the truth about I could work with anybody. And it's not that I was kissing ass because I didn't have to kiss no ass. I just wanted to sing. I wanted to bring it. I could bring it. And that's all I wanted to do. I don't have to be your friend. I don't know. Maybe that was a a downfall. I don't know. The women looked at me as being from what I understand, to this day, looked at me as being conceited. That wasn't it. That was sort of a protection, a shield, so to speak, because they were so full of shit. I didn't want to be a part of your bullshit. You know, Dawn Silva told me, I was 27 at the time, well, she asked me how old I was, and I told her, And she told me I would be finished in this business in three years. So she had it out for me in the beginning, (laughs) you know. She was always, look, giving me that side eye, you know, all the girls. Cutthroat. Lynn and I were friendly, but that Dawn Silva and that Jeanette Perkins, no. No, 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 no unity. No unity, no, Mm -mm. mm-mm, none. To this day, isn't that something forty- some years later forty some okay. years later. Now, I've been called to do gigs with these girls, but it's always an issue. always. Oh, my are, legs hurt or...
1: <laughs> are you aware are you aware of or have you seen that um, documentary "Tear the Roof off" that came out? Yeah,
0: I was a part of it.
1: Okay i didn't remember i saw it a while ago but um do did you feel like it was a fair portrayal of what it no
0: no and i again a lot of controversy surrounding that documentary um if dawn silva had had it her way jeanette perkins i would not have been a part of it because as far as they were concerned I didn't have a voice, you know, I wasn't, I didn't play an integral role. Yes, I did. Oh yes, I did. And uh, what was uh, the producer's name, Bobby Brown? Bobby Brown sought me out. He sought me out. Linda Scheider put me in contact with Bobby Brown. And thereafter is when Don Silva starts talking to me about being a part of this documentary. But um, I, there, there was a lot of truth there was a lot of truth I had no idea what uh, people were saying um, I had no idea what what um, what other groups uh, the original P how they felt, uh, Debbie Wright, um, Linda, I had no idea. Again, like today, I did the work. I think I expressed that openly in the documentary. I did the work and I wanted to be paid for my work and it didn't happen. And, and why it didn't happen. Why it didn't happen. But then again, I look at the original members of the organization, the original um, parliament. They created this machine and here they are fighting for uh, equal pay. I mean, you helped to to uh, found this group, but yet, you're fighting for equal pay. I didn't know that. And here I am, talking about, you know, I did my work, and I... <laughs> You know, I'm a member of. No, you're not a member. Who told me that? Uh, Billy Bays told me that. No, you're not a member of Parliament. Well, I'm a Funkadel. No, you're not a Funkadel. Well, what? Uh, I'm a member of the family. I did the work, and I want to be paid for the work that I've done. But how can I expect to receive? Royalties for the work I've done, and they haven't. The original members haven't. It. Yeah. It's a long line. Yeah. Get in line, as a lawyer told me, you know, because I wanted to sue George's ass some years ago. It's like, I need my money, you know, blah, 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 blah. And she said, Get in line. It's a long line. Yeah. So, you know, I'm still breathing.
1: <laughs> hey, well, thank goodness for that, you know. Uh, there's
0: opportunity we're being put on the spotlight you know the spot i don't know why but the spotlight is on us maybe well, the book has something to do with it i don't know
1: when uh, people are listening to those parlet records or maybe even some of the other funk mob records is there a way they can like pick out or or try to distinguish your voice in particular like on the parlet records say
0: I guess you would have to know my voice, my tone. And um, like here recently, Jim Wright, Debbie Wright's brother, we're we're talking these days. Jim said to me, um, this was a couple of weeks ago, he asked me, we we're on the phone, and he said, Cheryl, sure, did you do some recording with Kid Rock? And I said, uh, yes, I did. <laughs> Which was also very political. <laughs> I said, yes. He said, oh, wow, baby, I knew it was you. It's the tone. I guess you would know that the tone of a person's voice too." Uh, recognize uh, the voice within a, a song. Yeah. So I would say that it's the, the resonance, it's the tone of voice, something about that tone.
1: hmm Yeah. How did you connect with Kid Rock?
0: It was during a period when nothing was happening. No, I wasn't recording, no gigs. And uh, a bass player by the name of Lonnie Motley, who was a buddy of mine, who would, you know, we would hang out from time to time. He played around town, another badass bass player, but crazy as hell. (laughs) Uh, He may have been one of the P-Funk all-stars. I don't know. I'll give him that. But anyway, um, Lonnie asked me, he introduced me to Kid Rock. What are you doing? Nothing. Uh, why don't you come and hang out, you know, go to the studio with me. And so I did. So it was a lot of hanging out, you know, just being on the scene. And, uh, I went to the studio with Lonnie Motley and, um, he introduced me to kid. Is that how it began? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did a Midwestern tour, you know, colleges, college campus type stuff. About three or four of those with Kid Rock. And I saw that he had a huge following. I had never heard of him before. Uh, After that, Kid said to me that he would be recording... Uh, a new album, and would I be interested in doing some recording with him? And I said, well, hell yeah, you know, (laughs) hell yeah. Of course, I'm thinking everything is legal, (laughs) you know, going through the union, not that under-table shit, (laughs) which he tried to do that, but uh, (laughs) I got in touch with the union, yeah. So that's how I met Kid through uh, Lonnie Motley, uh, another bass player friend of mine who was playing with Kid and who had been working with Kid for quite a while. Sweetie Pie, hard worker. He was a rapper. Um, the guy that I've been working with for almost 10 years now, I guess, uh, the black man. Uh, Kid spoke of black man often from Detroit, East Side. I'm from the West Side of Detroit, but they are from like the East Side. Kid was hanging out on the east side. And uh, so Black took, well, Kid, like I said, would talk about this rapper, you know, who helped him to understand the language, the rapping taught him how to rap. And that was the black man who is a, a dear buddy of mine. I wanted to help Kit with his vocals because he wasn't a singer. He, he yelled a lot. <laughs> and uh, I thought he was going to lose his voice. Well, if he had continued the way that he was going, he would lose his voice. And I wanted to help him sincerely with his vocals. But uh, that's his thing, you know, that was part of his whole, you know, uh, delivery, yeah.
1: He he blew up so big, um, Devil Without Cause was was the breakthrough album.
0: Yeah, I was there to watch that whole thing. You know, like I said, we did that Midwestern tour. We came back. Uh, he said that he would call me. I went to uh, Japan. He said that he would call me. I didn't think that he would call, but I'm talking with my mom and mom said, uh, this kid Rock called you and said that he has some work for you. I'm like, oh my God. So, you know, to have work waiting for you when you got back to the States was really exciting. And he kept his word. you know, I had met a lot of people who, in the name of the music, who did not keep their word, and Kid was one who kept his word. He said that he would call me to record, and he did. And we recorded uh, what was the first thing I recorded with Kid was the uh, cowboy. I think Cowboy was the first one. but I, I did three CDs with Kid. And you know again, I'm learning the business of music now, I'm with an organization that would help me to secure my uh residuals, my royalties, my payments, which was AFTRA. um but kid and his whole little machine was talking about. <coughs> Of course, you know, you're going to be paid forever. You're going to receive monies forever. And when you say, I'm going to receive monies forever, of course, I'm thinking residuals. This is forever. <laughs> it's forever. I will receive my residuals. And this comes through the union. It's a legal thing. But he was talking about paying us under the table. So again, I'm a person who holds on to paperwork. And I kept all of my earlier paperwork. And uh, once the recording Cowboy came out, it was huge. And everybody was hearing it on the radio. And they knew because they know my voice, that tone. Oh, you know, you recorded good. You should be good. You know, they just knew I was being paid. And I wasn't. And my heart was so heavy. It was so heavy at that time because he had paid us a little bit of money under the table, but the record was huge. And all I'm hearing is, I know you're getting paid and I wasn't. So I had to look into that, Uh, it, it haunted me. And I couldn't, at that time you couldn't get next to kid because he was huge, you know, he was huge. He was all over the place, but he wasn't with us. He wasn't trying to help the people that help put him on the map he wasn't trying to help us he was gone he was on so i decided to look into um, i had a friend at aftra at the time and i decided to look at because you know there is a a, lim- a limitation there is a certain period that you can pursue your monies and um, the statute, yeah, the statute of limitations. And I thought that it was up; it was too late by the time I called, but it wasn't. And my buddy said, "Well, let's look into it. Let's let's look into it." And we pursued it, and yeah, <laughs> cha ching, cha ching. <laughs> choo As a matter of fact, uh, my ex-boyfriend, um, I was talking with him, like I said, a couple of weeks. We've been talking here of late. I, I forgave him for all of his <laughs> ugly attitude back in the day. It took a while, but I forgave him. So we're buddies now, Jim Wright. We were talking, and Jim said, baby, you know, he asked me, did you do uh, work with Kid Rock? Yes, I did. And he heard my voice in Cowboy, which was a song in the movie uh, Securing Sarah. I think it's called Securing Sarah. Didn't know it was a big time movie until here of late. So um, I have a date with the union <laughs> to find out, uh, you know, how that works. Okay, can I collect my residuals? Because Cowboy is definitely in the first 15 minutes of this movie called Securing Sarah.
1: I okay. definitely want to uh, cover, you brought up um, the black man and I wanted to get a little more information on, on, on that because you've, you've done a lot of re- recording with uh, him and that group. And I want you to talk a little We're bit about-
0: to tonight. We're going in the studio tonight. Uh, since uh, the pandemic, we haven't done any work together. So uh, we decided this morning, ready, set, let's do it tonight. So I'm going over to his studio once I finish this interview with you. Our relationship started about 10 or 11 years ago. Underground rapper here in the city. Like I said, he, he had been working with uh, various rappers. I wasn't you know, a part of that community. Um, but, um, kid, I mean, uh, not kid, but black man was aware of who I was and, uh, we connected, um, we connected spiritually from the, yeah, that was our connection. It was a spiritual connection. He had lost his, his youngest child had been, uh, His youngest child was killed by a hit-and-run driver. And um, I walked into the studio months after his child had been murdered. And there was a plaque, a gold plaque, hanging on his... uh, wall in his boutique his uh, black man and his wife had a um eclectic type of boutique here in Detroit in a place called Highland Park and I admired the window dressing and so I walked in to the boutique one afternoon unbeknownst to me that this was black man's boutique and I was admiring you know all of the the wares and I just gazed upon this plaque on the back wall he's an artist as well he is is not just music but he paints he draws he paints and raps (laughs) and um, so I knew that in order I thought in order to receive a uh, plaque a gold record, you know, like that, you had to have some inside connection to Kid Rock. And I said to this man who was admiring me from the back, he was following me throughout the little boutique. I'm listening to the music and, and I said to him, um, excuse me, but, Whose plaque is that on the wall? And he says, that's mine. Well, how would you come to own a gold record? I have a gold record. I did work with Kid Rock, blah, blah, blah. And he said, I know Shirley Hayden. Oh, shit. (laughs) Oh, my God. You're the black. Because he's black. (laughs) You know, his skin is dark. You know, he has a very distinctive look. You'll never forget him. You know, and I said, Oh my God, you're the black man. And I, so I wanna... we will be in the studio this evening working on some Shirley Hayton and, and black man music. He misses me.
1: <laughs> I'm playing. I don't I want to mention some of the tracks so viewers and listeners can can like check it out. I mean, some of the ones that I especially liked. On the um, black uh,
0: black man review featuring Shirley and
1: and, and, um, y- and yours too, uh, but uh, put the money in my pocket. Ah, uh, something ain't right.
0: Yes, that one something ain't right. Uh, received honorable mention. Now I don't know how that happened, but it received honorable mention here at the Detroit Music Awards several years ago. We did that about I don't know four or five years ago. And people liked it, but we didn't continue that momentum. You know, we didn't continue to moment, but that's one of my favorites. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> and then uh, yours always on the one uh, and and really impressed with Can You Feel Me? That's got a serious funkadelic vibe.
0: You like that?
1: Yeah. Are you serious? It totally has conjures the, the feel of classic era funkadelic and parlette to me.
0: Scott, I would like to go back in the studio and redo "Can You Feel Me," because it sounded to me like the basement.
1: You know. <laughs> well, the recording quality, I can't speak to, but the but the vibe and the song are cool.
0: Thank you. I wanted that song to disappear. <laughs> you know but why? It, because I didn't like the way it was produced. Mm. And I I think I can still go in the studio and redo it. What do you think? Why not? Why not? Huh. Thank you. I will. But thank I, you for that. Um, I
1: saw a clip, too, of you guys playing, um, I guess, in 2014. And it was so cool. The recording's not good. But it was so cool to hear you guys doing Riding High, you know, live.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, we did some P funk music once in a while, but with the Black Man Review featuring Shirley Hayden, um, we had a few musicians in the beginning. But in order to keep it going, you have to have real musicians, and uh, you have to practice. <laughs> and so that was a thing with learning the PFUC music, performing the PFUC music. You had to learn the music. And so musicians can be a little lazy sometimes in learning the music. Mm. So I had no desire to, if you don't know the song, you don't want to learn the song, let's not do it. Okay.
1: <laughs> Got to do it right if you're going to do it.
0: If you're going to do it, it has to be done right. Yeah. So maybe now, you know,
1: maybe now the saw, time now. I saw you did that Sun Ra tribute also, which. Uh...
0: Ah, Scott, you're warming my heart. You war- I love doing Sun Ra. I didn't know that I could do Sun Ra. You know, I had seen Sun Ra back in the early 80s when Marcus Belgrade took me to a concert. He knew Sun Ra, and uh, at that time, the band consisted of all Detroit musicians, so I think that's the reason why we went, but it was so complex, I I didn't understand it at that time, it was just a lot of noise, (laughs) you know, uh, intergalactic, you know, GB What is what? I don't understand. I don't know. But a friend um, uh, Green um, whats Toto mm. Can't think of his first name. Yeah, A friend of mine introduced me to the project and told me that I could do Kenny, Kenny Green. Kenny Green, what is the name of his organization? Mm. But Kenny Green told me that he came to one of the Black Man Review featuring Shirley Hayden's gig and said that I would love for you to work with my group. And uh, we're doing Sun rock. So would you do me an honor and start listening to blah, 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 blah. And I said, oh, okay. Okay, I'll i start listening to Sunra. And that's what I did. And I fell in love with Sunra. And Kenny invited me to let's see, I did two shows. Yeah, I did two shows with Kenny doing Sunra. And I think one was one was videotaped. So much fun. So much fun, but I was petrified, <laughs> you know, uh, and, because you, you've got to get it right. You know, this is jazz. You got to get this sub Oh, this is a big feat.
1: Really cool, really cool to say a different side of you. Yeah, I love
0: jazz. I do jazz. I do reggae. I've been a part of several reggae groups. I do it all, Scott. I do it all. I'm multifaceted. I do plays. I have projects galore. Uh, that are in the can, so to speak. One of them is Nina Simone. I'm looking forward to doing Nina Simone. I love her. But Sun Ra, was, that was a pleasure. That was a pleasure working with that band.
1: What does funk mean to you? You know, one of the things that I just love so much about you is how you've kept in touch with it throughout your entire life so far. and And it's, <laughs> You know, it, it's heartwarming and gratifying to see that you've embraced it throughout all these years. And so, what does it mean to you, Shirley?
0: What does it mean? It means a way of life, my way of life. It means freedom of expression. Um. It means uh, to give, to always give, to be free and giving of oneself. Uh, always being on the one, being true to oneself. And um, that's the funk. Always on the one, always on the one, being true to oneself. Yeah. And that's what I've always been, true to myself.
1: What are you most proud of in your entire music career?
0: I'm proud of the work that I, I've done. All of it, because it's so much uh, controversy surrounding Parliament Funkadelic, all the groups that I've worked with. Just, I don't know if that's just a part of being a uh, artist. Artist uh, recording, not just recording, but you know, acting. Uh, I I love the journey. I like. Where the music took me and it still takes me is a challenge. It's always a challenge. I'm always up for a challenge. Uh, I guess it's just a part of my, it's my destiny to to do uh, the music. I'm on purpose. I'm very proud. I was... um At one time in my life, I was embarrassed by the work that I had done with Parliament Funkadelic because so many people here in the city, and this Detroit is a big funk, this is funk nation here and and so critical of, of your counterparts, just so critical. So I never felt accepted. And when the organization folded, I was super embarrassed because I couldn't say technically what happened. And I didn't want to share what happened. I wouldn't with anyone, but um, I learned throughout the years to, uh, I thank God, number one, for grace. Because I could not have done it without uh, the grace of that which is, uh, you know, sustains us all. I'm very proud of the work, the body of work that I've done with Parliament Funkadelic. I'm very proud of the work. I'm proud of all of it. I've done so much uh, as far as recording that I can't began to talk about it all. But I know that I'm noted for the work that I did with uh, Parliament Funkadelic, and the work that I've done with Care Rock. So those are huge accomplishments. But my biggest would be my daughter. (laughs) (laughs) Having my baby. I uh, I was a child bride. That's a story that I'm ready to tell now. I was married at 18 and widowed at 19. And my daughter was five, six months old. So she is my greatest accomplishment. I'm very proud of her. I'm very proud of our relationship because it hasn't been easy. (laughs) It could not have been easy for her growing up because her mother was, uh, is a vocalist, you know. A vocalist, your mother is a vocalist? What kind of job is that? <laughs> so I would say that my, my biggest accomplishment would be my daughter. Secondly, um, on the journey would be the, the work that I've, I've done with everybody. Everybody. I'm just so grateful, so grateful and honored that they chose me to be
1: a part of their journey. <laughs> what, what, what's your all-time favorite P-Funk song?
0: my all time oh my god let's see if i would go if i would start at the beginning it would be america eats Is young i played that record that album over and over again call my baby pussy
1: Well, you were into p-funk before you got yeah yeah oh
0: yeah i knew that i was going to be a member of that group i can't tell you how it happened but I knew that I would be a member of Parliament Funkadelic, because I was so entrenched in America Eats as Young. Call my baby pussy. Once I start recording with them, um, it's several. Let's see. It's called uh, Fun Will Take the Long Way Around.
1: Mm-hmm. That
0: was my mantra. Once I realized, okay, there's a lot of political bullshit going on.
1: <laughs> I think that's on Trump population.
0: Trump that's Trumpulation. Yes. I mm-hmm. loved recording that album. I did. I loved, uh, I came in on one nation. That was hot. Knee deep was hot. Yeah. It's several, um, the electric spanking of war babies. Yes. Yes. I enjoyed recording that.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, I could talk to you forever as you've kind of gathered, but, uh, it's been so much fun talking to you. Thank you for like, spending the time. Thank you for all the great music, Shirley.
0: Thank you, Scott, for loving our music. And thank you for being so patient with me. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to do the interview. You have shown me how important it is. So I'm very grateful to you. Thank you.
1: I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at FunkinStuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the funkin stuff channel on youtube and sharing it with funk r&b and jazz lovers, joining truth and rhythms membership program at patreon, submitting a donation at funkinstuff.net, buying everything is on the one the first guide to funk book at amazon, shopping at the funky things store for cool merchandise at funkinstuff.net, and linking through funkinstuff.net for all of your amazon purchases. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Qualfind saying, keep on on vibing to the rhythm of the one.